0: And now for the second half of the story. Actually, the story is going to be three sermons long. I couldn't squeeze Luke chapter 15 in one sermon. I couldn't do it in two, and so this is part two of three. So if you have your Bibles with you, open up to Luke chapter 15. And this time, we are going to try to get the context to see what's really going on and really to to answer the question... Why did Jesus tell this story? Now I love uh, this Bible. This this Bible means the world to me. This specific one, and all the ones like it, and then all Bibles in general, but I, I really do like this one. This uh, is a new international version. It's a Thompson Chain reference. I, I don't want to get into a war about which translation is better, uh, but I like this specific one because I was given a Bible identical to this one uh, back in 1990. Three for Christmas. I was a senior. I got a Thompson Chain Reference Bible. Looked just like this. And I wore that thing to pieces. And I love it. Uh, and I had to replace it with another one a few years later. Uh, and I wore that one to pieces. And so now I believe this is my fifth one. They don't make them anymore. And so I have a sixth one still in a box hidden away. Uh, and hopefully I'll be able to find some in the future. And I love uh, what the NIV does. In uh, several other translations, they give you um, these little title headings. Which, just so you know, if you're looking at the Greek, uh, one, you're not flipping pages. Uh, it, it wouldn't have been bound like that. Uh, it might have been on papyrus, depending on the case. wouldn't have the author's name. It wouldn't say Mark on it or Luke on it. Uh, it wouldn't have chapters or verses. We know this. It wouldn't even have had headings. And this is my beef about this one particular story in Luke chapter 15, because in Luke chapter 15, they call it the story of the what? The lost son. Or if if you want to go King James on us, you can say the story of the prodigal son. And I have a big problem with that because we have identified one son as the lost son. And either one, we've chosen the wrong son... Or we need to rename it. But we'll get into that in just a minute. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. This morning we're actually going to look at verse 1, which I begged you not to read last week. And I know most of you did anyway. So Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Him. Him being Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Okay, so this is the foundation on which the next three stories are going to take place. And he's going to start the first two with this word that we translate as suppose. And so we understand from that that these aren't Actual events that took place. Jesus is telling a what? A parable. A parabole To throw alongside. He's giving a a sort of, uh, um, kind of an analogy. Like, this is what it's like. And he's going to give this first story that's not near as exciting as the third. But he says this. Okay, so there's this man who has a, a hundred different sheep. And suppose one of those sheep goes off and gets lost, and what does he do? He goes out and finds it. And when he does so, this is where we get to the real part of that parable. What does the man do when he finds the one lost sheep? He rejoices he celebrates he's so excited that something that was lost is now found hasn't all haven't all of us had a point in our life where there was something that was lost maybe it was something as insignificant as our keys or something as important as our cell phone and we think i found it this is what the story is about. Now we're going to jump down to the next story. And this, he says, suppose there's a woman, she has ten coins, and she loses that one coin, and what does she do? She turns her house upside down, and she sweeps and looks, and then she finds the coin, and what does she do? She rejoices. Do you notice? This is what it's really about. What happens when there's something that is lost and you find it? Okay, so I'm going to go off into an area I'm somewhat unfamiliar with, but I know a little bit about it. It's the idea about getting excited and cheering for something. Now, I cheer for a lot of things, but no one has ever come to me and said, Hey, Doug, you do such an amazing job at being ex- excited and cheering for something that I want you to cheer for me and to help other people as we cheer for people. But there are some people in this audience who have been asked to do that, who have been chosen, who who would come up to someone and say, I don't know, like kinsey like that's just a name I'll throw out there, and say, do you think that you could hold these two fluffy things called pom-poms and go out in front of people, and help them cheer. And not only can Kinsey do it, not only did she say yes, her and her, her group of fellow, do I call you Eagleettes? What, what do we call you? Eagles went on and did a fantastic job yesterday. In fact, you made it on the newspaper of, of doing such a great job. You were chosen to cheer. Okay, Now, cheering is more than just about pom-poms, and herkeys. Now, I've already demonstrated once this morning how to do a herkey, so I'm not going to do it again. And there's laughing over there that's completely unnecessary and totally hurtful. But I did a herkey this morning to show that I know what it is. And I do know how to cheer, even though no one has ever asked me to do it. But a big part of cheering is about timing. It really is. I don't know if any of you remember several years back. uh, I believe it was in the Super Bowl. I I should have brought up the picture. Uh, But it was uh, the opposing team scores a touchdown. And and in the background you see about ten different cheerleaders in this, this professional team. Nine of them are like this. But one of them got confused and thought that because there was a touchdown, she needed to cheer. And that's what made it. That's what everybody keyed in on. This one young lady was so excited about the, the football crossing the end zone and a touchdown being scored. She started to cheer, but it was for the wrong team. Jesus is going to tell a parable and it's going to be just the opposite he's going to tell a story of a football team that's down and at the very last second of the Super Bowl when they're about to lose, the quarterback sneaks in, he gets into the end zone, the home team wins, and the cheerleader who has been chosen and called to cheer for her team is doing this. In fact, truth be told, she's doing this! I can't believe that just happened. You think that's crazy and it's wild and that's exactly how the original listeners heard this story being told. They were appalled that Jesus would make up a story and in doing so, He would make them to be the bad guys and make this terrible younger son who's greedy and who's hanging out with sinners and prostitutes. Jesus makes Him to be the good guy. He's the one on the home team. He's the one who crosses the plate. So we know the first half of the story, we looked at it last week, and it's one that we know oh so well. It's the story of the younger son who asked for his father's inheritance. He gets it, he goes, he spends his money uh, in wild living, he runs out of food, and he decides, I'm going to go back and I'll be a hired hand, and maybe I can just get close to my father's family and he heads back and we have that story but now we're going to jump i want to skip what the father does we're going to get to that because it's really important but today i want to talk about why jesus is really telling this story it's about what we do when lost things are found so we'll read starting in verse 25 of Luke chapter 15. It says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. Can we stop there for just a second? Because I want to key, key in on a word uh, that that I was uh, brought to my attention by Jim. Or Jim, you're sitting right there. Uh, just last week. And I started thinking about this more and more. Where was the son when the older brother, when the younger son came home? He was out in the field. He's doing his work because that's what he's done his whole life. That's how he defines himself. Hang on to that idea. So he's out in the field. He comes closer to the house and he hears what? Okay. Say those. There's two things he hears. What does he hear? Music. I get the first one. It's really easy to hear. I mean, you hear it all the time. You could be in your house, and you can hear somebody else's music as they drive past your road. They would have had instruments back then. He would have been able to get close enough to hear the music. But what does he also hear? Dancing, which we all know is a sin, and we're not going to talk about that this morning. But here's what I want to really talk about. What does that imply when when Jesus said that he heard dancing? A couple things, I think, comes out of that. What's the first one? If you can hear the dancing, what does that mean? It means that they were really close. He had gotten close enough that he could actually hear the feet stomping the ground. He let himself get that close, but he refused to go in. But what is the second thing that it implies? Julie, you said it just a second ago. They were making a lot of noise. Now, as bad as I am at herking, is that a word? I'm worse at dancing. I, I can't dance. I can't do it. And I'm not going to try because I would hurt myself and it would be embarrassing. And I enjoy having a job, so you won't see me dancing. But can you imagine what it would have been like for them to dance in such a way that the, the older brother outside of the house could hear it going on? Now that, my friends, in the Greek is called a shindig. I mean, this was a real party. So let's think about this for a second. He hears the music. He hears the dancing. If people are dancing, we're in the church building, people. So just remember your answer. But if people are dancing, what does that usually imply? They are happy. They're excited. And I want to ask you this question. Why is everyone dancing except the older brother? Why can everybody be happy but the one brother? Why can the servants, why can the other family members, why can the father, why can they find joy and the old? What's wrong? Why can't he be happy? He's upset, he's jealous, he's angry. He is, I love this phrase, he is righteously indignant. You see, the reason why the older brother is upset is because he believes he has something to lose. He thinks that all of his dad's stuff belongs to him because he's earned it and he deserves it. And this makes the older brother just like his younger brother. There is no difference up to this part of the story. We read when we first get there what a crazy request it is on the younger brother to say, hey dad, you're really dead to me. I just want your stuff. I don't really care about you. And you go, oh that's so wrong. That's terrible. He should be kicked out. And we get mad at him and he goes off and squanders his money. You say, oh, he deserves that. But back at home, the older brother does the same thing. He cares more about what he's supposed to get from his dad than having a relationship with him. He's there at home, but he's not really there. And folks, I just want to give you a warning. This is a dangerous, dangerous place to be. Because when you find yourself in the far country, you can look down at what the pigs are eating, and you can be far away from home, and you can say, you want to know what? I'm not where I need to be. And by the grace of God and by His Holy Spirit, you can come to the recognition that you are not home. And you can come to your senses. And you can start walking. But you can't start walking home if you think you're already there. You see, for the younger son, it was a no-brainer. He knew he was far away from his father. But the older brother was equally as far, but he didn't know it. Jesus was talking to the religious people, the ones at the time who thought because they had done all those good things, that they were right where they needed to be. And Jesus was saying, I want you to know that you aren't home yet. They were far away from home, even though they thought that they basically owned the place. Verse 26, So the older brother called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has, because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. And listen to this. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Do you notice what the father does with the younger son? It's, it's pretty obvious. I mean, it's just, it's just so out there. It's, you see him come out and he's running to meet his son. And he throws himself on him. And he begins to kiss him. And he weeps. And he welcomes him home. Do you know what the father does with the older brother. Albeit slower, but he does the exact same thing. He leaves the house to go to his son. And in that respect, the brothers are once again very, very similar. Both of the sons wanted their father's stuff. Both of them disgraced their father. Both of them needed the father to come out because both of them had rebelled. And you're going to say, no, 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 that's not right. The older brother didn't rebel. Because the older brother did what he was supposed to. We need to remind ourselves, as Jesus is telling this story, He says, you can rebel by being really bad? Or you can rebel by thinking that you're really good. And that's where the Pharisees were as Jesus was sharing this story. It is dangerous in that it's easier to hide at home and never realize that you're lost. You see, the problem was is that the older brother didn't realize that he needed his father more than he needed what his father could give him. And this is where we can step out of the parable and can begin asking ourselves the question, do we really need Jesus? And why do we do the things that we do. Elizabeth Elliot created this parable in which uh, she imagines Jesus talking uh, to His twelve apostles and says to them, I want all of you to pick up a stone And so they pick up a stone. He says, I want you to carry it throughout the day. And so they're carrying it throughout the day. And at lunchtime, he says, okay, pull out the stone I've asked you to carry. And they pull it out. And Peter, having been the sensible one, he chose a really small stone because it was easy and he wouldn't have to carry it with two hands. He could slip it in his pocket. And Jesus says, pull out your stone. And Peter, having the small one, Jesus then says, okay, and he turns the stone to bread. The next morning, they wake up and Jesus turns to his apostles and he says, I want you all to grab a stone. Well, this time Peter realizes he ain't no dummy. And he finds this big boulder that he reaches down and he picks up and he starts carrying it around just all day long and finally... It's time for them to stop. And Jesus says, now I want you to take your stone and I want you to throw it into the river. And Peter goes over there and heaves it in. Waits for something special to happen. And nothing does. And Peter says, I carried that boulder around for you just like you said. And Jesus says, no, no. You didn't carry it for me, you carried it for yourself. Listen, there's no toes that are getting stepped on more than mine as I make this statement. Who are you carrying your cross for? If it's to be good, if it's to do good, if it's you can earn salvation, or maybe that God's going to owe you something. You see, the big brother, he thought that because he hung around, he should get to decide what would happen to his father's stuff. And the fattened calf and the ring and the robe and the sandals, those were His. And His dad didn't get to decide anymore. He earned those. Those were His. And He was furious that His Father would give them away. And Jesus says, they're not really Yours Salvation is not something that you can buy or earn. Stop trying to think that you're better than people because you keep a law or you have a special pew that you sit in or you're faithful in doing certain things, but you neglect showing love and grace and mercy. Nobody's asked me. But if I ever got the phone call and somebody said, "Hey, we're redoing the Bible and and we're going to change some of the topic headings." I would say that Luke chapter 15 is about the real lost son. Because you know how the parable ends or maybe I should say this, do you know how the parable doesn't end? The younger son comes home. The older brother is left in the field. And that was intentional because Jesus wanted His listeners then and you today to hear this question Are you out in the field? And will you come in? Can you make your relationship with God not about the things that you do, but simply about enjoying the grace and love that He offers? Is your relationship with God about dancing with joy Or slaving in the field. Where's your relationship with Jesus? We have one more week, and next week we get to the really fun part what God does for those two boys and what He does for each one of us today. But you don't have to wait until next week to answer the call and say, I'm ready to come back home. Whether you've been in the far country or working out in the fields, we want you to know that God invites you into His presence and desires a relationship with you. And if you want to have that, and if you'd like to have the prayers of the church, if you want to be baptized placed into the water and buried and brought up alive again, then we want to invite you to come now as we stand and sing.